in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness and I been listening to Mark at all and his jokes? Yeah? You enjoying it? They're bad? They're, they're kind of this weird tension of they're really bad, but they do make you smile. They do make you laugh a little bit. So let me ask you this. What makes a joke really good? That it's funny? <laughs> How about what comes at the end of the joke that makes you go, oh, <laughs> The punchline, absolutely, the punchline. Does, does anybody have um, Alexa in your house? Oh, more in the second service. I asked her yesterday, I said, Alexa, what's a punchline? And she gave me this really long um, definition, and basically she said, it's the point. But gave this really long definition. And as I watched Mark's sermon last week and I prepared for today, one of the things I thought of is let's review just a little bit about where we've been in Romans and what we're about to encounter here. Because what we find in Romans chapter 1 is Paul gives us the punchline. Paul is this strategic, very well thought through, inspired by the Holy Spirit writer that knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't just sit down with the pen and, and just kind of flow aimlessly and then get done with it and go, boy, that turned out pretty good. He knows what he's doing. And I think we're going to see that a little bit evidence today as we review just where we've been before we get to today's passage. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Romans chapter 1, or you can just look right up here. Here's Paul's punchline. Right away in chapter 1, it says... This, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Okay, close Romans. 
Wouldn't that be, you know, that would, that would say it. That would finish it. That would be like, oh, there it is. That's where he's going. He sets it up for us. Made right by faith. This is the punchline. This is what we see. And then we, he continues on through the chapters. And you can watch 118 through, through 320 be about sin. Who enjoyed that season we were in? All about our sin. We're all sinners. We all fall short. No one is good. He quotes, uh, he quotes Old, Test- Old Testament scripture in verse 3. and says, no one is good, not even one. Have you ever said to, about somebody, well, they're a good person? We know what we mean. But theologically, it's not true. No one is good. Not one. We're all sinners. We're all, you know, just read, read what Paul writes. He really puts out a really good case. And it seems kind of hopeless when you're going through there. You're like, boy, these are bad people. And then he goes, do you think you're absent of this? This is you too. And you go, oh, I don't like that. Because here's the deal. No one is good. But Paul's setting us up, isn't he? He's setting us up because the real answer is no one is good, not one, without Jesus. We need him. We need a savior. We need to be rescued. We need to be saved. And we get to chapter 3, verse 21, and then we read, God has shown us a different way. By believing, having faith in, trusting Jesus, we are made right. It's really interesting because he, he's all talking about the law and, and sinners and that we don't really have a chance because the law doesn't fulfill what we really need to have happen. We need Jesus to have happen to make us good in, in, in the sight of God and make us righteous with God. And then we get to verse 21 in chapter 3 and it says, but now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. Have you ever said, has anyone ever said you don't do it that way? It's something you've been doing for 20 years, and then someone says, no, don't do it that way. I have a better way. How hard is it to shift and move to the new way of doing things? When, I was, when my kids were in school, and they started doing new math, I'm like, I'm out. I can't help you. I couldn't really help them with math anyways. But once they got past fractions, I was done. But, you know, when the Lord says, I have a different way, God has a different way, it throws us off our game. It, it, it makes us wonder. But then he says, this is it. You don't have to work for it. He says that we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus. It says we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood for us. He declares sinners to be right in his sight because they believed in Jesus. We are made right with God through faith. He makes people right with himself only by faith. It's the new way. It's not the law. It's not the behavior. It's not being perfect. It's about posture. It's about belief. It's about trust. It says here then in chapter 4, we get to Abraham. The great example the great one that they point to, that Paul points to and says, look at Abraham. Look at what he's done. Look at how much he believed. Scripture says that Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. How many of us waver in believing and trusting on a daily basis? I do. I waver and question. I want to believe. I want to hope. I want to trust. But I don't live there all the time. It's, it's, it, it, I don't live there all the time. 
But it says Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. (laughs) Absolutely convinced. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him righteous. This chapter, this chapter 5, that says how we are made right by belief, by faith, by trust, how we are made right with God, how we are justified by faith, is a good news chapter. It's a really good news chapter. And that's where we get to go today. Last week, Mark was talking about um, the first part of chapter 5, and he was talking about suffering. Do you remember that? He was saying how that, in, that we are going to have suffering. Well, let me just read it to you. It says, um, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Woohoo! Let's rejoice. We've run into problems and trials. How many times have you run into problems and trials in a day? A lot? Maybe some days are better than others, of course. But there's always tri- trials and challenges every day. So... Where was I? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that we are that they are good for us. Do we really? Do we really know that they're good for us? Sometimes I don't know they're good for us till I'm past it and through it. And then I look back and I go, Oh yeah, I guess maybe there was something good that came out of that. But when I'm in it, I'm kicking and screaming the whole way, stomping my feet like a two-year-old. Why do I have to suffer like this? Why do I have to be in it? I love what Mark said about suffering, that it's pressure, the pressures of the world, the things that are just giving you, you know, doubt about things and, and that are, they're squeezing you in life. It's what burns us out. It what, it's what makes us say, I can't do this. This is too much. That's suffering, that there's good in that. But they're good for us. They help us to learn to endure. And endurance develops strength and, uh, of character in us. Okay, strength of character is a good thing. And character strengthens our confident expectations of salvation. Develops our hope. And then we get to today's verse. And it says this, And hope does not disappoint. It does not disappoint. I mean, you can just see what Paul is building on. I just love his writing. I think it's brilliant, which was my better topic in school, by the way. I could, I could help the kids with their, their English way more than their math. So, and hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's stop a minute and think about that. God's love, the love of the almighty, powerful, omniscient, omnipresent God has been poured into us, into who we are, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. Have you ever been disappointed? Come on. How about... This is this cute. (laughs) That's what hope feels like. It feels discouraging. I mean, that's what disappointment feels like. That's what disappoint. You knew what I meant, right? The feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. 
when we hope for something, when we've been promised something, when we expect something to happen and it doesn't happen, it's disappointing. It's disappointment. I said at first service, I said, for Brendan, this is when he gets a bad meal. It's a disappointment. He loves his food. He, he loves really good food. And if you ever get the pleasure of eating a really good meal with him, don't even eat. Just watch because it's just this great experience. But it, when it's not good, it's disappointing, isn't it? You get food and you're like, oh, this wasn't very good and it's disappointing. How about when you don't get a job that you want? How about when you are thinking that somebody's going to be there for you and they're not? You name it. It could be a a whole plethora of things that could disappoint us. And a lot of times we're disappointed the most when a promise is broken. When when somebody says, I'm going to do this, and then they, they don't deliver. Sometimes not of any circumstances on their own, but it just doesn't happen. It can bring great disappointment. My husband, Scott, recently um, was, he worked for a company for 23 years. For 23 years, he worked for this company, and, which is unusual in the electrical trade, but he did. And one day, the owner of the company said to him, Scott, we're a family here, and you'll have this job till you retire. In December, he got laid off. And that's unusual, too, after being with someone for 23 years that you would get laid off. So he got laid off. And you would think that, you know, that would be extremely disappointing, but there was this little piece of hope in there that was good because he had a really difficult boss. He had somebody that was challenging to work with. But he still was disappointed because it was a promise broken. And I asked him permission to share this. But you have to process through that. You have to acknowledge, yes, I've been disappointed. It's okay to say that out loud. It's okay to say that hurt. It's okay to say I didn't like how that felt. It's a natural part of life that we're going to be disappointed, isn't it? I'd like to think that, I actually probably used to think, that I could, put, I could manipulate my life well enough that I would never be disappointed. <laughs> okay, you can laugh, because that's kind of funny. But I used to think that. But we have expectations. We make promises. People make promises to us. I hate disappointing other people. I hate disappointing my personal trainer who suggests I do something and I don't do it. I hate that feeling. I get, I get uncomfortable and I actually have to leave his presence because I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I can't talk to you because I, I didn't walk this week like I said I was. I, I hate disappointing other people. But what really hurts is when someone disappoints me. They happen, don't they? Here's a tension for us. Because disappointments exist, it's also where we can easily slip into hopelessness. If we're not careful, it can seem like the easier path. It can seem like if I just didn't hope, then I wouldn't be disappointed. If I didn't expect anything, I wouldn't be disappointed. And once, and, and once you start hoping, you become vulnerable, don't you? When you say, boy, I would really like this. I would really like this to happen. I would really like this job. I would really like this relationship reconciled. I would really like this really good meal. When you start to say those things, you're risking 
another disappointment, aren't you? But the opposite of that, to fall into hopelessness, is not the right option. The option is to keep hoping. Well, how do you keep hoping when you're always disappointed? We don't want to close our hearts. We want to keep dreaming. Sometimes we get to a place where we don't even want to expect anything good from God. It hurts too much. We vow never to be vulnerable again. And then we get to today's passage. And it says, hope does not disappoint. When it comes to the kingdom, when it comes to God, when it comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ, we won't be disappointed. It says hope does not disappoint. What is it? What is hope? Tom Stewart said in 2011 about that it was a sure and certain reality that has yet to come. Just like Abraham, he knew without a doubt that God would deliver on his promises. That's what hope is. It does not disappoint. It's knowing God's promises of better days. Promises that eventually are fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a glory day that will be. Hope isn't just this faraway dream or a wish. Hope in the kingdom has much more power behind it than a wish. It's not wrapped up in a season or a program or in a new job or a better spouse or a bigger house. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus. It's the sure confidence that what God says will happen will happen. We can take it to the bank. We can cash it. For the follower of Jesus, hope always depends on the reliability of the one who makes the promise. Hope is a confidence in his promise of better days that change how we live today. Hope has that much power. When we dare to let ourselves dream, when we dare to let ourselves think that God is just that good and he has better things for us on the other side of whatever we're going through or that he even has great things for us in the midst of what we're going through, when we can get to that kind of posture, we know we're on the right road. That's hope. It's a much deeper, deeper thing than I wish this would happen. Hope causes you to hold on. If you want to throw in the towel, hope says, but, but, but the scriptures tell me, the Lord tells me that there's better things that are coming. There's a better way. That Jesus is going to fulfill all his promises. I can hang on to that. Hope screams, don't give up. When you're having a really hard day and you're on the floor and your face is buried in the carpet and you have nothing left to offer and you have nothing left to give and you're about ready to throw in the towel, hope says, don't give up. Hope says, let go. You can trust me. Hope says, God's faith, it's God's faithful word saying to you, I believe in you. I believe in you. Hope says, you got this. This morning, I was going to have someone you know, stay with me in the front row just to help me you know, discern what the Lord might be doing and different things like that. And they called in sick. And I said to Jesus, I, was, I wasn't ups, um, anxious about it, but I just said to the Lord, I said, what do you want me to know? And he said, I'm your wingman. Hope is knowing Jesus is your wingman. 
And then you get Beth Burke, unknowingly to me, I had no idea how pastoral she was and how great she is up front. Uh Uh-huh. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. God has a better way. I can trust it. I can see an end to it. Hope reminds us of the glory that is promised to us. Hope says you're okay and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. I I see the youth and I think, oh, high school, man. I needed to know everything was going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Jesus will fulfill all his promises to you, and it's all going to be okay. I, Scott and I have been married 31 years, something like that. <laughs> and we have gotten to a place where if I'm having a really bad day, he will ask, do you want me to fix this or do you want me to listen? <laughs> And that's the result of my great training. And oh, I got a bigger laugh on first service on that one. I'm joking. Um, (laughs) But sometimes I will say to him, I just need you to tell me it's going to be okay. That's that's what I need. I need to know it's going to be okay. Hope in Jesus tells us it's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. <laughs> the love of God has been poured into our hearts. Love's a game changer, isn't it? When we know we're loved, when we know that we're accepted, when we know that we're seen, when we know that we have value, when we know that God has a purpose for our lives, that we're not just some speck on the world that will come and go with no purpose, when we know that we have purpose, it changes things. Love is a game changer. When I was, I don't even know how old I was, in 2009, (laughs) remember, no math, I was at a conference in Southern California, and I think I've shared this before, but it's just so appropriate, that um, I was at a conference. There's probably maybe a couple hundred people at a church, and worship was going on, and I was in the middle of seminary, and which means I was in the middle of a very fast-track growth with the Lord, which means I was never graceful about what the Lord was about to do in my life. And I just went kicking and screaming and like, you know, completely surrendered, which was completely out of control, but right. And so I was at this conference in 2009 and we were worshiping and a friend of ours, Joe Johnson gets up and he comes up to the front and he just picks up the microphone and he says, Holy Spirit, come. Now, theologically, that's not right because the Holy Spirit's here. He's always with us. He never leaves. So we don't ever have to ask, you know, invite him to come. But our hearts are not always ready for him. So for us to say, Holy Spirit, come, what we're saying is yes to the Lord and whatever you want to do, which is a very dangerous prayer, but right and good. 
So he gets up and he says, Holy Spirit, come. And all of a sudden I could feel in my, in my purse, Mark always says, what's going on inside of you? Okay, my heart is racing. My fists are clenched. They're getting all sweaty. And I am in this room with 200 people. And here's my thought. Oh, Jesus, please don't do this here publicly. Because I know when the Lord does a work on me, it is not pretty. And so I'm like, oh, no, please don't do this publicly. Oh, wow, now I just thought of, am I willing to be a fool for the gospel? Well, I wasn't at that time. And so I, um, I said that, but I just knew I couldn't get away from it, and I just surrendered, and I said, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And the emotion came, which is an indicator for me that something's going on. And I began to weep. And my friend Robert was in front of me. And he turns around and he goes, Sharon, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. And the more that it happened, the more I could felt myself clench my fists. And my flesh was fighting with everything I had against the Holy Spirit. Well, who's going to win? You know, so, I mean, the Lord's going to have his way if he wants to, if, and if I let him. So it was, it was just this weird tension where I'm, I'm bracing myself, but I'm saying yes at the same time. And he's, Robert's like, Sharon, what's going on? What's going on? I said, I don't know. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, this, this uncontrolled, guttural scream comes out of my mouth, and I just went, I think people across the room heard me. Were you there, Morgan? Yeah. And <laughs> did you hear that across the room? Yeah. And anyway, don't answer. And so, <laughs> and, and I fall to my knees and I just begin weeping and weeping and weeping. And sometimes I, for my walk, I have to let the Lord in even if I don't know what he's doing. And Robert, God bless him, he gets down on the floor. He's like, Sharon, what's going on? What's going on? And by this time, you know, there's a little scene. There's about six to eight people around you. My shame is just going off the charts, but I'm still saying yes to the Lord. And I'm, so I'm trying to just listen and, and pay attention to what's going on. And I, and I just said out loud, I said, I can't have all of his love. And I knew that was the truth of what I believed inside. I can have some of God's love, but I can't have all of it. I can't have it all. And they began to pray over me, and as they were doing that, I began to see a picture. And for those of you who don't get pictures from the Lord or whatever, just listen to the words of what I'm saying. Just listen to this story. Jesus was on the throne. He was up in the heavens, He was up in the heavens and he was on the throne and he kept going like this, nodding his head, saying yes, one to the left, one to the right, one to the left, one to the right. And he just kept nodding and saying this. And I looked over here and this, I saw this picture of the angels pouring out this liquid gold. They were just pouring it out and pouring it out. And they would look at Jesus and then they'd keep pouring. And then they'd look at Jesus and they'd keep pouring. And this one's over here is looking at Jesus and he's pouring and looking at Jesus and he's pouring. And so they just kept pouring it out. And I am standing there like this. Just allowing this to flow over me. And what I realized what was happening is it was the love of God being poured out. In my heart, I had thought, I can't have all the love of God. And God says, oh, you don't think so? Let me show you. 
And so I'm standing here, and it's pouring out, and it's pouring out, and it's pouring out. And I, the more that that happens, the more that I get a little bit more quiet, a little more settled, a little more centered, a little more with Jesus. And then I saw Jesus come down off the throne. And he comes up to me. And this is, you know, I'm still laying on the floor in the conference room, you know, but I'm seeing all this happen in my mind. And he grabs my face and he gets eye to eye with me. And he makes sure that he, I'm looking right at him. And he says, Sharon, it will never end. It will never end. Love is a game changer. From that moment on, I knew without any question, I had to learn how to live it, but without any question, I knew that the love of God was overwhelming me and it would never end. This never-ending, reckless, faithful love of God causes hope to not disappoint. It's powerful. We find hope, we find love in the person of Jesus Christ in that way where it will come into your hearts, it will be poured into you, and love will change the way you think. It will change the way you think of yourselves. It will change the way you think of your purpose. It will change the way that you live out your life. And here's the brilliant news. If we lose our way, it never ends. If we question God, it never ends. If I disappoint somebody, it will never end. If I'm disappointed, it will never end. If I get angry, if I doubt, if I shake my fist at God like Lieutenant Dan in in Forrest Gump, it will never end. It never ends. This is the confidence that we can hang on to. This is hope. If we give sparingly, if we run away, it never ends. And when we know that, when we experience God, when we have that, and we know that, then hope does not disappoint. Because I'm not looking so much at my circumstances. I'm not saying ignoring them. I'm handling them. I'm going through them. I'm asking the Lord what he wants me to know as I walk through it. But there's this underlying current that says, God's got this. He's in it. He's in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this pressure, in the midst of the unknowing, in the midst of trying to figure out who I am, in the midst of trying to figure out what he's asking of me, in in the midst of relationships, in the midst of jobs. He's in it. It never ends. That is beautiful good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that... Your love for us never ends. Not only that it never ends, but that we can have confidence in it that everything you say will come to pass. Thank you, Lord, for pouring out your love into us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we can go out and and splash that love on others. Lord, I pray that we as a community would 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 invest in the work you're doing with building these wells. Lord, help us to become aware of the greater call you have of us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we do that anchored, 
solidly in your hope. We pray over the giving, Lord. Would you put it on our hearts what you're asking of us to give? And may we give freely, without fear, without timidity, knowing that whatever we give, you'll multiply. Your scripture over and over and over and over declares your faithfulness. You got this. Thank you, Lord. Pray a blessing over whatever comes into the plate today that you would multiply it and would go forth and do your good work. In Jesus' name, amen. And I am yours for all my days. Jesus, I am yours. And I am yours. And I am yours for all my days. Jesus, I am yours. I invite you right now to stand up. And to proclaim that, to make that statement over yourself. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Yeah.